I want you to look again with me, Mark 13, to begin with, and notice a specific question that the disciples posed to our Lord about the end times after the Lord Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, and. Now, we started in chapter 12 because I want you to notice the continuation. The word and tells us that this is a continuation of chapter 12. And, of course, in chapter 12, we saw the Lord Jesus watching the people giving in the treasury. Why? Because he's inside the temple. If you go back in chapter 12, you'll read that he cast out the money changers there. He's been in the temple for a long time. Go back to chapter 11. He's in the temple. And so chapter 13 begins like this. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. They've been overwhelmed, the disciples. They've been sightseeing. Brother Chris's family's been up in Washington, D.C., and they've been looking at the Capitol building and the White House and the Smithsonian. You, you see all of that and the monuments, and you would walk away after two or three days and say, wow, what manner of stones. Look at this, Jesus. They wanted the Lord to be as impressed as they were. Go down to verse 3, would you? It says, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives over against the temple, that means near the temple. You remember verse 3 says he's going out of the temple. So they were leaving. Now that they're out and they're overlooking it, it says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Now, if you happen to have a red-letter edition of the Bible, you're going to notice that everything after verse 5, that every verse in the entire chapter from verse 5 to verse 37 is all read, which is to say that all of it is our Lord giving answer or at least addressing the disciples' questions, which is remarkable because the questions were basically when. See all these beautiful buildings? They're all going to be destroyed. When and what's the sign of it? Neither of which our Lord reveals. Certainly not the way we like it. So what's with all the red letters? What's with all the verse after verse after verse? You see, what our Lord does do, however, is present the truth. Our Lord gives them the facts about the end times, and those facts are so absolutely spot on that 2,000 years later we can see clearly that everything in the world right now to this moment is proceeding is proceeding precisely as our lord knew and prophesied that it would and for god's people on this lord's day morning there is a reason there is a reason why god jesus has presented it all in his word let's pray father please help us to hear as we said earlier to heed your word we know, Lord, when we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, I pray, God, we will experience it today. Help us to understand that what you have told us is more than enough for us to be faithful to the very end. And so speak to every heart, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a boy, one of the more popular television shows in those days was a police drama called Dragnet. 
dun 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 you know it. This is the city, Los Angeles, California. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent and so on. And of course, the most famous line, I think, in that series always came from Officer Joe Friday, who whenever he was interviewing a witness or someone to a crime, he almost always said, all we want are the facts, ma'am, which had been reduced later to just the facts. And that was because, you know, in the excitement of the moment, people tended to embellish or to guess or to, quote, hearsay and tell him all kinds of other stuff that didn't, that didn't matter. But Officer Friday, with his pen and his notepad, it was just the facts. All he wanted the facts, ma'am. And in today's text, the disciples asked Jesus, these specific disciples, two questions. And these are questions that people for centuries have added to, have guessed about, have expanded upon from his answer on that day. And folks, all we want to do this morning is listen to the facts. I just want you and I together with the word of God in our hands, I want us to see and understand the truth of what Jesus said that day and has preserved for us in this book, his word. I'll remind you that again that Jesus is answering the disciples' questions about the end times. Yes, specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem and the days following. And he says, after that, take heed. The first thing he says is, look, you be careful. You take heed and be aware, lest any man deceive you. So in other words, you'll notice that the first thing he says to them in answer to the question is that when it comes to the most spectacular the most critical moment ever, that when it comes to the end times, the deceivers and the fiction writers and the myth makers and the dissemblers are going to abound all over the world. Verse 6 says, many, see that word? Many shall come and shall deceive many. Well, chalk that prediction up as being perfectly fulfilled. There are all kinds of affidavits and testimonials and eyewitness accounts and propositions about the return and the end times, the return of Jesus, that are simply not true. Some of them are guesswork and some of them are outright deceits. Which brings us to the text. Because you know, folks, when our Lord answered the disciples' question, you understand that he answered them. We just said it's a long chapter. It's all red letter. He answered them. He gave his response. And it is his answer that God has given to you and me on this Lord's Day morning. You know, when a detective comes to a scene with his notepad in his hand, the only thing that, that matters, the only thing that matters that's written on that notepad are the facts. Shall we call it today the truth? I remember in high school, I was driving my boss's big pickup truck from Indian Town to Okeechobee, Florida. I had an expensive load of redwood plywood. And he asked me to move it from, for a friend of his, from one W&W lumber location to the other one in Okeechobee. And so I got on the road, in those days, a little two-lane road all the way out there, sort of out in the middle of nowhere. And about halfway there, a police officer, pulls, a sheriff deputy pulls me over. And I have to tell you, he was, and I say this respectfully, but he was the embodiment of Barney Fife. <laughs> he was young, really young, not much older than me. 
And he was asking a thousand questions, and finally he got down to my apparent crime. Now, I'm just a 17-year-old high school kid working at a lumberyard. But somehow he had in his mind that I was a carjacker and I had stolen this truck. He taps his flashlight on the windshield. And he says, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the registration tag sticker has been pulled off. See, in those days, here in Florida even, you had to have a sticker on your windshield. And so I said, I said, Deputy, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is not my truck. And he gives me a look like, yeah, I know it's not your truck. <laughs> and the whole time he's writing furiously on his notepad, and I'm thinking he's not a detective. What could he possibly be writing? I explain it to him. He goes to his radio. I tell him the, the truth, the story, and he finds out who owns the truck, but he's still very skeptical. And he says, let's just step out of the car. Let's get your boss here, this Mr. Wall, and let him explain this, why there's no registration on the windshield. And so I had to wait there 35, 40 minutes. My boss shows up, fairly annoyed, and he goes straight to the glove box. And he pulls out an envelope, and in the envelope are several the old Polaroid camera pictures of a smashed windshield. And then he explained to Deputy Fife that he was using his truck just a few days before, and he was pulling a car out of the muck when the chain broke and smashed the windshield. And then he showed him a Polaroid, a picture of the registration sticker on the smashed windshield. And the best part is that in that envelope was a note written by that deputy's boss, Sheriff Richard Evanson, Homer's very good friend, because it was his car that he was pulling out of the muck. <laughs> and I watched as the deputy took about through two, three pages of his notes and he just crumpled them up, stuck them in his pocket. <laughs> and I so bad wanted to say, nip it in the bud, Barney, nip it in the bud. <laughs> For 2,000 years, a lot of people have been writing a lot of things about the end times. Some of them are very popular on the internet, very popular on television shows, and they've been writing a lot of things about the end times that Jesus never said. In fact, some of their notes are the opposite, the precise opposite of what Jesus said. So I have a question. What are the facts? Just the facts. What did Jesus say? There's five things, very briefly, in the text. The first one I want you to notice is he gave us a lesson about the time. Look at verse 1 again. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Look at the exclamation point. They were in awe. And Jesus answering said unto them, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow, you talk about a shock. Talk about a disturbing prediction for these disciples to hear. They just said, Lord, look at this amazing building that took decades and decades to rebuild. It's magnificent. It's awesome. And they were. You know that temple in Jerusalem was far more impressive at that time than the Parthenon, the Sphinx, the Roman Colosseum that would later be built. Not to mention it was the house of God. Now again, imagine if Jesus said to America today, see this White House? 
in Washington. See the Capitol building. See that great Washington monument. I say unto you, there shall not be one stone left upon another. If our Lord announced that prediction today, September the 3rd, 2023, what would be our very next question? When? Look at verse 3. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against or near the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when. If this is going to happen, when shall these things be? So what's the timetable? What's Jesus going to say in answer to the question of give us the when? The time frame. Well, and Jesus answering verse 5, here's his answer. And Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and we shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled, such things must needs be. Here it is. But the end shall not be yet. In other words, follow this, and this is so important, the Lord doesn't tell them when. That was the question. He answers the question, he addresses the question, but he doesn't do so by telling them when. He simply tells them, not yet. In fact, he goes on to say, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen in the world, and this specific thing is going to happen, as you'll see in a moment. He goes on to say that there's going to be wars, and there's going to be talking about wars. Kingdoms will rise against kingdoms. People are going to come up, and they're going to claim to be me. They're going to claim to be Jesus. But the end of all things is not yet. Now, wait a minute, folks. That means that in answer to their question of when it's going to happen, the Lord Jesus basically said, not yet. And that's all you need to know. Now, granted, he told them the kind of the world, the kind of world we would have leading up to the destruction of the temple and later the last days. But as to when, the end, he said, shall not be yet. Look at verse 32. But of that day... And of that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Beloved, those are just the facts. That's the truth. And it brings us to the second revelation in the text. Number one, there's a lesson about time. Number two, Jesus tells them and us there's also a lesson about trouble. Now, wait a minute. What do we know about the last days? Chapter 13, verse 2. Jesus answering said unto them, Seest thou these buildings, these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. By the way, as we noted earlier, this is an amazingly brazen statement. Because the Lord didn't just predict the destruction of the temple. He specifically predicted that of its complete dismantling and removal. Do you realize that you should remember this promise? Every time you look on the news and you see 2,000 years later, Jesus' words, after his words, people are still weeping at the wall that surrounded that temple. That very wall, part of it, that was supposed to protect that temple that is gone, it was God's house. Until it was destroyed, one stone upon another. When Titus came and they sacked it and they burned it to the ground, some of the gold melted, much of it even between the stones, they said. And so they had to remove the stones just to get to some of the gold. Forty years after Jesus promised, 
And yet, it happened. It happened in most of the disciples' lifetimes in precisely the manner that our Lord said that it would, so that against all the personal wishes or ideas or notions of the apostles themselves, the Lord Jesus never said that the kingdom was supplanting Rome. He never said that David's throne would replace Herod's throne. The Jews were convinced that Messiah was here to rule and to reign, and all the disciples were still clinging to that same, same hope, but that is not the facts. That is not what Jesus said, not even once. In fact, I remind you that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and they were throwing down palm branches and they were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord in direct fulfillment to that Old Testament prophecy, the Bible says that Jesus wasn't singing with them. It says that Jesus overlooked Jerusalem and guess what he was doing? Weeping. The Lord Jesus knew what was in store. He wasn't caught up in the moment. He said, Pastor, what do you think is going to happen in the world? What's going to happen in America? And what's going to happen in Europe and, and Africa and Asia? What's going to be the result of 2,000 years of gospel ministry going to the whole world? I suppose a lot of things can't happen. There could be a third great awakening. Wouldn't that be glorious? But if you want just the facts, if you want to know the truth of what Jesus said, Verse 8 says, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be earthquakes and divers are different places and there shall be famines and troubles. And these are the beginnings of sorrows, he said. Verse 9 says, but take heed to yourself. They'll deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. Ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Verse 13, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. In other words, now follow this, famine. That's hunger in the world, earthquakes, troubles, wars, not excluding the everyday dangers of this planet. So the beloved, look, our Lord wasn't promising guaranteed health and wealth. In fact, let me ask you a question. Did you ever think about this? For the past 2,000 years, when men were promising a golden age, over 100 years ago, men like Marx and Lenin were promising a utopia, others a Shangri-La, an Enlightenment, a New World Order, Elysium, Arcadia, Xanadu, Hope and Change. When men and religion have promised that evolution leads to a higher state, both biologically and socially, no. Our Lord always said that until the very end, there will be injustice and tribulation and trouble. Who was right? Who has been right all along? Understand this. This is our Lord's last day of public ministry on earth. This is it. He knows it. This is literally hours before his arrest and his crucifixion. And when he's asked about the state of affairs on this earth and in the future, you'll notice he doesn't get it wrong. It's because he's God. He doesn't promise a false reality. And he doesn't describe, he doesn't predict anything other than exactly what has occurred for the past 2,000 years. In fact, do you want to see something amazing? Look at verse 10. 
And, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, wait a minute. Folks, that in itself is a staggering prediction for Jesus who's about to die. The leader is about to die. He has a handful of these half-hearted followers. And yet somehow the gospel is going to go throughout the whole world. It's going to be published to all nations. What in the world kind of glorious worldwide welcome must these half-hearted disciples receive for that to happen? What kind of amazing red carpet must be rolled out for the entire world to receive this gospel? Well, this kind, we read it a moment ago. Verse 9. Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogue shall you be beaten, and shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine telling your beleaguered apostles that there's going, that they, these men, are going to take the gospel of Jesus to the entire world, but that also, at the same time, the world itself is going to persecute them and hate them for doing it. What kind of an impossible scenario is that? Those two things don't go together. Well, it's the scenario that actually occurred precisely as Jesus predicted. The Lord Jesus did not say that the gospel would wither in Jerusalem, and it didn't. It's been published throughout the entire world. However, neither did he say that it would be published throughout the entire world because its followers are popular or beloved or exalted, and they are not. Why? Because our Lord knew. He knew what the apostles didn't know, and he knew the future. He knew that the eternal, immutable, glorious plan of God's redemption was proceeding exactly according to God's plan. And he knew that in Satan's long war against God, number one, it would take time. Number two, it would include trouble. And then number three, it would attack truth. Look at verse five. And Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. Go down to verse 21. And then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all these things. Now follow this carefully. Here was the warning that he gave them and us. The deception that is described in verse 23 takes place specifically just before the apocalypsis. That's the Greek word for apocalypse. It is translated as revelation, as manifestation, and as coming over 18 times in the New Testament. I used to teach high school Bible when I was in, in the 80s, when I was in my 20s. I taught high school Bible, and a 10th grader misspelled. I had her write Apocalypse on the chalkboard, and she misspelled it, and some of the kids laughed at her, and I said, don't worry, Joy. You misspelled Apocalypse. It's not like it's the end of the world. <laughs> Well, it is. And the strong delusion of verse 22 occurs just before that apocalypse. However, however, notice that until then, this spirit of deception, the mystery of iniquity, as Paul says, doth already work. 
In other words, here's the facts. Jesus said, you be careful as my people. You be careful as a New Testament church because many deceivers shall come. And many people will say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, or here's Jesus. And Jesus said, my counsel is this. If any man, verse 21, if any man says, look, here is Christ or there is Christ, what? Believe him not. That's it. Do you know that there wouldn't be one cult in existence in the world if they just took that one word of advice? Believe him not. Do not believe any teacher who claims that Jesus has returned ever. Why? Because they are false Christs and they are false prophets. Joseph Smith, Sung Young Moon, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Judge Rutherford, Ron Hubbard, all of the, de- the, the decept- deceived people, all they ever had to do, the deceived, was just believe this one verse, what Jesus said, and they would have never been deceived. You say, but Pastor, if we're not to believe any man who says, hey, there's Jesus, Jesus is back, here is Christ, if we're not to, to believe that, how will we know if he's here? <laughs> really? Here's how, verse 26. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. In other words, to illustrate this, you know, we hear these warnings, hey, an asteroid is going to hit the earth someday, a meteor is going to hit, destroy the planet. Pastor, how will we know if an asteroid, when it hits the earth? I think you'll know. <laughs> and yes, this world will know when the true Christ is revealed at the apocalypse. And the rapture, seven years before that, is so fast and so vast that no believer who is saved is going to be deceived by a false rapture. Don't have to worry about it. So if someone comes along, believe him not. Pastor, I heard this guy on TV, and he was using lots of scriptures, and he was taking this one and that one, and he was saying that Jesus came. Believe him not. Are you going to believe this guy, or are you going to believe the words of Christ himself? According to the facts, throughout all of the last days, this truth will be attacked. Lies will abound. And this deception and these lies will abound, Jesus says, all the way to the very end. A whole line of false Christs will lead the world all the way up into the great Antichrist. And all we're told to do is believe them not. There's a lot of things if you think about it, that believers are susceptible to in this body. The world, the flesh, and the devil, all of these can have some effect on a believer's life. But do you know, you ever think about this? There is no reason. There is zero excuse to be deceived about the last days and the second coming. No Christian, even thousands of years after the resurrection, no believer can ever say, Lord, I got caught up in this false doctrine on the end times because I didn't know. Or, Lord, I got so discouraged about the state of affairs in the world and in our country and the way things were going because I didn't know. That's never going to fly. And the reason is that Jesus gave us the facts. We do know. It's crystal clear. Which brings us to the fourth thing. There's a lesson about time and trouble. Number three, a lesson about truth. Number four, I want you to notice the lesson about trust. Verse 33, go to our text again. You'll notice 
Jesus closes his answering, his discussion, by saying, take ye heed, watch, and pray. For you know not when the time is, for the Son of Man is a man, is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Watch. You know, the Bible speaks about the beginning of the apocalypse, the beginning of the, of the second coming, which is the rapture, in terms of it being the blessed hope that purifies us. That means if you're trusting, if you believe these words, and thus watching, it affects your life now. When I was a boy and my dad was deployed to Vietnam, I remember I'd get into scuffles at school with a bully or somebody, and I'd say, just wait till my dad gets home. But then sometimes my mom would say, Jimmy, you wait till your dad gets home. So I was a bit conflicted about dad coming home. But not for long. Because eventually it was just, I hope he comes today. I mean, I may not have all my ducks in a row, but, but it's better if he comes today. God's people, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian here today, you're watching and you're a child of God. We are commanded, we're supposed to be living in anticipation that it may be today. It is that blessed hope. Jesus said, the last word of the whole answer is, just make sure you're watching. Live as if it could happen today. Which brings me to the last thing. We said, number one, a lesson of time. Number two, there's a lesson of trouble. Number three, there's a lesson of truth that will be attacked. Number four, a lesson of trust. That's watching, believing. And then finally, there is this lesson of triumph. Verse 26, and we'll close. It says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power, great power, and glory. You see, beloved, even though the Lord said to Peter, James, and Andrew that there's some time that has to pass when these things shall happen, and even though there's going to be lots of wars and famines and destruction, even though he says the end shall not be yet, nevertheless, the primary emphasis of his answer to them is to watch, to trust him. It means to be diligent. Don't listen to false prophets. Don't despair because, oh, the world, like as if you were surprised. Don't despair over the trouble and the time it's taken. Don't sleep even though the world is dark. It's on the contrary. Keep on praying, keep on serving, keep on working and laboring and trusting and watching. In fact, you may remember verse 7, there's a little line in there that says, Be ye not troubled. We're commanded not to be troubled when we hear about some of these things. Keep on publishing the gospel, which means good news. And do it among all the nations. Don't stop laboring and don't stop, look, stop looking up. Because it's still the truth that one day, Sometime after the destruction of the temple, we know that. That one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, it is 
all triumph. I don't know about you, but I've already read the last chapter. I read the last verses of the last chapter. And God wins. It is a reminder that when Christ comes at his appearing, this word triumph, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's not coming as a lamb who is yet to be slain. Then, in this last chapter I'm referring to, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as the bright and morning star who will once for all end the troubles and the temptations in this long war of Satan against God. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, because on Christ the solid rock I stand. All on the ground is sinking sand. Pastor, I heard this disturbing thing by this, by this amazing preacher, believe him not. If it's not in here, believe him not. You can believe this, though. Pastor, I just don't understand why. Well, did Jesus not say there would be troubles and trials and that we would be persecuted for his namesake? Did he not say that? Pastor, it terrifies me that one day, and I don't understand why, one day in America, people can go to jail for preaching and teaching the Word of God. Didn't Jesus say that that would happen to people who know God and love God? And indeed it has for 2,000 years. So if anything, we should do what the Bible says. Jesus said, be glad and rejoice in that day because you're fulfilling His promise and His prophecy. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I don't know where you are right now, most of you in this room, where you are in your walk with God, in your daily life as a Christian in this world. But I know this for certain. If you've taken your eyes off of the prize, if you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and his word, his promises, his prophecies, then there's a pretty good chance that you are downcast, disheartened, or deceived. And so the counsel of Jesus today is is to watch. That means watch him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, expecting him to come, trusting him every day. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, but I needed this reminder today. God has spoken to my heart. As a child of God, who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? Amen, and praise the Lord, and amen. Hey, he's coming again. To a pastor, when I was a little girl in Sunday school, they said it was the last days. Yep, it was, is. Just add to that, these are the last days of the last days. Somebody was alive when Jesus came the first time and it took hundreds of years of prophecy to be fulfilled. Somebody's going to be alive when he comes a second time. I want to be among those who are ready, whether he comes while I'm alive or whether he takes me home. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today and I'm not ready. I don't know that I'm ready. Could we pray for you if you're not saved, not sure you're saved? Who would say this morning, Pastor Blalock, I, I need to be saved. I'm not sure that my sins are forgiven, that heaven's my home. If Jesus comes back or if the rapture occurs, I'm not sure I'm 
part of that family. Could we pray for you? With heads bowed, eyes closed, would you lift your hand up right there if you're not sure about your salvation? Amen, sir. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor Lilac. I'm not sure today about my own salvation who will join us at home where you are. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. What the Word of God is meant to do in our lives, in large part, because the Bible says teaching us, denying all ungodliness, we should walk soberly and righteously in this present world. It teaches us. The grace of God teaches us. But among that, one of the purposes of the Scripture is to give us perspective so that when we see, well, this is crazy, there's another war, we're like, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus said there will be wars. There'd be tribulations. There'd be persecution. That's right. Jesus is correct. Jesus is always correct. Because he also said he's coming back. Our Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray, God, you will continue to speak to hearts folks in this room. Thank you for those who have asked for prayer, Lord. If they're not sure they're saved, may we be an instrument in your hand to help them see that. For those who are saved, may we recommit ourselves, Lord, in these last days to watching, to trusting, to believing them not who are false and believing your word. Bless again these who have asked for prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.